this program. Viewer discretion is advised. Killers and victims alike live on in infamy due to the public's unnatural obsession with the heinous. Welcome to the Aftermath, where we try to take a look into the worldwide fascination behind these stories. Forgotten Story The Crazy Hijinks and Antics of a One Jeffrey Dahmer In the 1990s, one of the most sadistic serial killers of all time was thrust into the public's eye and scarred into our memories as parents had to explain Jeffrey Dahmer's behaviors to us kids. Mommy, why did Jeffrey Dahmer kill and eat those people? Because they didn't eat their Brussels sprouts, you little bastard. The Backstory On May 21st, 1960, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a child who would be named Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born. With a name like Lionel, this guy was certainly not famous for dancing on the ceiling. As Dahmer entered first grade, one must wonder if Dahmer's love for human bodies was simply because he was the kid who ate the crayons. Just kidding. Jeffrey really came across as a guy who ate glue, in my opinion. His father, Lionel's university studies, kept him away from home much of the time. Looks like he dodged a gigantic big-time bullet with his schoolwork. When he was home, his wife, a reported hypochondriac, suffered from depression. Or did she really? I mean, come on, she was a hypochondriac. It was said that dear Mama Dahmer demanded constant attention and spent an increasingly amount of time in bed. Consequently, neither parent devoted much time to their son. Surprise! Who later recollected from an early age that he, quote, felt unsure of the solidity of the family, recalling extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents during his early years, end quote. Let that sink in. The cannibalistic serial killer just called you guys, in fewer words, shitty parents. Way to go. From an early age, Dahmer was said to have been obsessed with dead animals. In high school, he was said to be an outcast. Hard to believe old Jeff wasn't really popular. By the age of 14, he began drinking beer, hell, who didn't, and hard alcohol in the daylight hours, frequently concealing his liquor inside the jacket he wore to school. So basically, old Jeffrey was Biff Tannen from Back to the Future 2. Dahmer became something of a class clown who often staged pranks, which became known as, quote, doing a Dahmer. These included annoying and tasteless simulations of an epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy. Now... Not only was he cannibalistic, but he was a gigantic prick as well. In 1977, Dahmer's grades had declined. His parents hired a private tutor with limited success. Big surprise there. I hear, however, he was one hell of a cook at home ec. The same year, in an attempt to save their marriage, his parents attended council sessions. They still continued arguing, 
When Lionel discovered Joyce had engaged in a brief affair in September of 77, they both decided to divorce, telling their son they wished to do so amicably. Lionel moved out of the house in early 1978. In May 78, Dahmer graduated high school. Dahmer broke his murder cherry in good old 1978. He didn't waste much time after graduating with murder. It was only three weeks. He picked up a hitchhiker, Stephen Mark Hicks, who was almost 18, going on 19. Dahmer lured Hicks to his house on the pretext of drinking. Hicks agreed to accompany Dahmer to the house upon the premise of, quote, a few beers with Dahmer. As he entered the house himself, I bet it was a non-alcoholic beer. Had to be dirty bastard Dahmer. Dahmer said the sight of the bare-chested Hicks standing alongside the road stirred his sexual feelings. Although when Hicks began talking about girls, listing music, Dahmer knew any sexual passes he made would be shot down. After several hours of talking, drinking, and listening to music, I imagine what was the classic Phil Collins in the air tonight, and Hicks said it was about Collins watching a man drown and not doing anything about it, and Dahmer saying, that's so not the case, it was a metaphor. Old Hicks wanted to leave him, according to Dahmer. I didn't want him to leave. So good old Jeff bludgeoned him death with a 10-pound dumbbell. He later struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks sat upon a chair. When Hicks fell unconscious, Dahmer strangled him to death with a bar and of the dumbbell, then stripped his clothes from Hicks from the body before exploring his chest with his hands, then masturbating. As he stood above the corpse, and hours later, Dahmer dragged the body into the basement. What in the name of John Wayne Gacy came over Dahmer? The next day, Dahmer played the most realistic game of operation ever. Rumor has it, good old Jeff received $200 for removing Mr. Hicks' funny bone and not touching the side. That August, Dahmer enrolled at the Ohio State University. You got that right. The Ohio State University. Hoping to major in business. That's right, Buckeyes. Your prestigious school accepted Jeffrey Dahmer. Let that soak in. Dahmer attended a whole term. Yeah, a whole term. And Dahmer already mastered the college drinking with the likes of Bluto from National Lampoon's Animal House and spent pretty much the entire term with a 0.45 grade average. So he was technically a whole 0.45 above Bluto from Animal House's grade. In January of 1979, on his father's urging, Dahmer enlisted in the United States Army. On occasion, an instance of insubordination resulted in punished, earning Dahmer a severe beating from his fellow recruits. Who, on July 13, 1979, Dahmer was deployed to West Germany. I bet he was a regular Bill Murray in stripes. Owing to Dahmer's alcohol abuse, his performance deteriorated. And in 81, like Private Pyle, he was deemed unsuitable for military service and was later discharged from the Army. However, it was an honorable discharge. After his return to Ohio, Dahmer initially lived with his father and stepmother. He insisted on being delegated numerous chores to occupy his time while he continued to look for work. He continued to drink heavily, and two weeks after his return, Dahmer was arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. In December 1981, Jeff's father and Dahmer's stepmother sent him to live with a grandmother in West Ailes, Wisconsin. Dahmer's grandmother was the only family member to whom Dahmer displayed any affection. They hoped her influence plus change of location might persuade Dahmer to quit drinking, find a job, and live responsibly. After all, the serial killer Ed Kemper lived with his grandma, and he turned out okay, didn't he? I mean, Kemper only killed 10 people between 64 and 73. Compared to Dahmer, he was a lightweight. 
oh man, maybe this wasn't a great idea. Dahmer was arrested for indecent exposure on August 8th, 1982 at the Wisconsin State Fair Park. He was observed to expose himself on the south side of the Coliseum in which 25 people were present, including women and children. What are you doing, you moron? For this incident, he was convicted and fined a mere $50 plus court cost. In January 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, where he worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., six nights per week, with Saturday evenings off. Shortly before Dahmer found this job, an incident occurred in which he was propositioned by another man while sitting, reading in the public library. Apparently, Milwaukee was quite the happening place. The stranger threw Dahmer a note offering to perform oral sex on him. This is how the wife and I met, I think. Although Dahmer did not respond to the proposition, the incident did stir him a little bit and brought up some fantasies of control and dominance and he had developed as a teenager and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. He was also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, which he briefly used for sexual stimulation, until his grandmother discovered the item and stowed it in the closet and demanded that he discard it. If only she had let him keep it, this story might be a lot happier and a lot shorter. By late 1985, Dahmer had begun regularly frequenting bathhouses, which he later described as being, quote, relaxing places. But during his conceptual encounters, he became frustrated at his partners moving during the act. Getting married, that shit stops real quick. Am I right, guys? For this reason, beginning in June 1986, he administered sleeping pills to his partners. Again, see my previous marriage comment. Much like the local college frat house member, he was giving them liquor laced with sedatives. He then waited for his partner to fall asleep before performing various sexual acts. Marriage, mm, nah, too easy. After approximately 12 such instances, the bathhouse's administration revoked Dahmer's membership. Fuck! And he began to use hotel rooms to continue the practice. My God, the marriage jokes are writing themselves now. On September 8, 1986, Dahmer was arrested upon the charge of lewd behavior for masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood next to the river. The fuck was wrong with Jeffrey? November 20th, 1987, Dahmer encountered a 25-year-old man from Michigan, Stephen Toomey, at a bar and persuaded him to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee, where Dahmer had rented a room for the evening. According to Dahmer, he had no intention of murdering Toomey, but rather wanted to do what any Florida State student says they intend to do with a girl. He intended to simply drug her. Drug him and lie next to him and explore his body. Again, he went the route of the frat brother, and the following morning, he awoke to find Toomey lying beneath him on the bed, chest crushed and black and blue, with bruises. Blood was seeping from the corner of his mouth and Dahmer's fist, and one forearm was extensively bruised. Dahmer stated he had no memory of killing Toomey. Surprise, bitch! He later informed investigators that he could not believe what had just happened. Funny. That's what I say when I get laid. To dispose of Tommy's body, Jeffrey purchased a large suitcase in which he transported the body to his grandmother's residence. One week later, he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso and filleted the bones from the body before cutting the flesh into small pieces, small enough 
to handle. Dahmer then placed the flesh inside plastic garbage bags. His grand must have been one heavy-ass sleeper. Dahmer wrapped the bones inside a sheet and pounded them into splinters with a sledgehammer. The entire dismemberment process took Dahmer approximately two hours to complete. He disposed of all of Tommy's remains, excluding the severed head in the trash. For a total of two weeks following Tommy's murder, Dahmer retained Tommy's head wrapped in a blanket. After two weeks, Dahmer boiled the head in bleach in an effort to retain the skull, which he then used for stimulus of masturbation. Who hasn't? Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by his bleaching process, so Dahmer pulverized it and disposed of it. Dahmer began to actively seek victims, most of whom he encountered in or around gay bars, who he typically lured to his grandmother's house. He would drug his victim with entomazepam before shortly and after engaging in sexual activity with them. He once rendered his victim unconscious with sleeping pills. He then killed them by strangulation. Two months after Tommy's murder, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Native American male prostitute named James Dockstater. Dahmer lured the youth back to his home with the offer of $15 to pose for nude photos. The pair engaged in some sexual activity before Dahmer drugged a duck's doctor and strangled him on the floor of the cellar. Dahmer left the body in the cellar for one week before dismembering it in much the same manner as he had done with Tommy. A whole damn week. He placed all of Doc Stater's remains, including the skull, in the trash. He was really taking a page out of John Wayne Gacy's playbook here. Again, skull in bleach. And again, too damn brittle. Again, he pulverizes the brittle bones. Dahmer smash! March 24th, 1988. Dahmer met a 22-year-old bisexual man named Richard Guerrero outside a gay bar. Damn, Richard, run! Dahmer lured Guerrero to his grandmother's residence. Although the incentive for this occasion was $50 to simply spend the remainder of the night with him, same old routine with the Jeff Meister. He drugged Guerrero with sleeping pills, strangled him with a leather strap, and then performed oral sex on his corpse. Seriously, Jeff must have been horrible in the sack. That is disgusting. I think he got the order confused with the order of the blowjob and then death. Dahmer dismembered Guerrero's body within 24 hours of murdering him. Same old routine. Out with the trash again. Damn, Jeff, not gonna recycle? Same thing. Head pulverizing. Jeff, smash again! Get used to this means of death, people. This happens a lot. On April 23rd, Dahmer lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee, both he and intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother call, Is that you, Jeff? Dahmer replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe that he was alone. However, she had observed that Dahmer was not alone. So this man was one lucky bastard and was able to live. September 1988. Grandma, in nicer terms, I'm sure, said, Jeff, get the fuck out. All these men he was bringing home, his drinking... And the, for some strange-ass reason, the basement and garage was really starting to smell like shit. Gee, I wonder why. Dahmer found a one-bedroom, but Jeffrey and his crazy sitcom antics were back in action within a few days. He was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy. The number or code you have dialed is incorrect. Please check the number or code and try again. Nasty! Whom he had lured to his home in the pretext of posing nude for photographs. You can't say he wasn't consistent. On January 30th, 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty 
to the charges of second-degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing from the assault was suspended until May or on March 20th, Dahmer committed a 10-day Easter absent from work. During this time, he moved back to his grandmother's house. I guess that smelly-ass basement was starting to clear up. What do you think happened with another guy he met? Give up. Give you a hint. It involved drugs, garbage, and pulverizing you guessed it. If you guessed a backstage pass to a Motley Crue concert, you're right. <laughs> Kidding. This time it was a 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, who Dahmer met at a gay bar on March 25th, 89. Dahmer must have had a soft spot for Sears, because this time he kept his head and genitalia and acetone, the garbage bags, yada yada yada. He stored them in a wooden box, which he later placed in his work locker. I mean, shit, who hasn't done that? Two months before his scheduled release from work camp, Dahmer was paroled from his regimen. His five years probation imposed in 1989 began at this point. On release, Dahmer temporarily moved back into his grandma's house in West Alice. Lucky old Gran. A year later, he moved into grandma's. I guess she was really putting a damper on his fun. This time, taking Sears' mummified head and genitals with him like a taxidermy cat named Mittens. Within one week of his moving into his new digs, Dahmer had killed his sixth victim, Raymond Smith. Smith was a 32-year-old male prostitute whom Dahmer lured to the apartment 213 with the promise of $50 for sex. Gotta give Dahmer this. He sure as hell was consistent with his offer of $50. Inside the apartment, he gave Smith a drink laced with seven sleeping pills, then manually strangled him. For those at home keeping score, this was number six. We only have to make it through 14 more deaths. The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera, which he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggestive positions this time, in breaking bad tradition before dismembering him in the bathtub and boiled the arms and legs and pelvis with a steel kettle with Soilex, which allowed him to rinse the bones in the sink. He was getting better at this shit. One week after the murder of Smith, on or around May 27th, murder number seven happened. Dahmer lured another young man to his apartment. On this occasion, Dahmer accidentally consumed the drink that he was planning to give the kid and knocked himself out. Dumbass, 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 dumbass. Yeah, yeah. He did. When he awoke the following day, he discovered that his intended victim had stolen several items of clothing, $300, and a watch. <laughs> Rumor has it, Dahmer felt violated. Not really. Dahmer really never gave a shit, and he didn't report it to the police, although on May 29th, he divulged to his probation officer that he'd been robbed. I guess calling the cops and saying he was going to drug this guy but spiked his own damn drink was a little too embarrassing for Dahmer. Let's try body number seven again, shall we? In June 1990, Dahmer learned, lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. Same shit, different day. Drugs, strangled victim, on this occasion his own version of a science experiment rather than immediately repeating processes of bleaching which he had rendered previous victim's skull brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton into a freezer for several months in hope that it would retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton did not remove moisture, however, and the skeleton of his victim was acidified several months later. Dahmer, like diehard ceramics fans, accidentally destroyed his skull when he placed it in the oven to dry. 
a process that caused the skull to explode. Dahmer later informed police he felt rotten about Smith's murder as he was unable to retain any of the parts of his body. Poor Jeff. Live and learn. Er, I mean, Mr. Dahmer, not, Miss, not Mr. Smith. Number eight. Less than three months after the murder of Smith. Less than three months later after the murder of Smith, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old Chicago native named Ernest Miller outside of a bookstore on the corner of North 27th Street. Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment for $50, surprise, surprise, and further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. Paging number eight. When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex on Miller, he was given sleeping pill. He was informed that'll cost you extra. Whereupon Dahmer said, Haha, not on my watch, and laced his drink with two sleeping pills. I guess we could say, it's Miller time. Lame joke. I have no regrets. On this occasion, Dahmer only had two sleeping pills to give the victim. Damn, Jeff. Getting kind of sloppy on this shit. That's the kind of shit that gets a brother caught. Therefore, he killed Miller by slashing his carteroid artery. With the same knife he used to dissect his victim's bodies. Miller bled to death within minutes. Dahmer then posed the nude body in various suggestive Polaroid photographs before placing it in the bathtub for dismemberment. I guess Jeffrey was becoming a fan of the pictures. Dahmer repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head while dismembered from the, the remaining of the body while he chopped it up. He never accused Jeff of not being a romantic. Dahmer wrapped Miller's heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in a fridge for later consumption. Freezer burn wouldn't destroy this lunch. He boiled the remaining flesh and organs and yelled into a, quote, jelly-like substance using Soylex, which enabled him to rinse the flesh off the skeleton, which he intended to retain. To preserve the skeleton, Dahmer placed the bones in light bleach solution for 24 hours before allowing them to dry upon a cloth he had placed in light bleach solution 24 hours before, allowing them to to dry upon a cloth for one week. The severed head was initially placed in the refrigerator before being stripped of flesh and then painted and coated with enamel. He was literally turning his victims into art, arts and crafts. Number nine, three weeks after the murder of Miller, on September 24th, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old father of two named David Thomas at the Grand Avenue Mall. He persuaded him to return to his apartment for a few drinks with additional money to offer if he would pose for photographs. In his statement to the police after his arrest, Dahmer stated that after giving Thomas a drink laden with sedatives, he didn't feel attracted to him, but he was afraid that he would allow him to wake up and turn him in. Therefore, he strangled him and dismembered the body, intentionally retaining no body parts whatsoever. He photographed the dismemberment and process and retained these photographs, which later aided in a Thomas's identification. Following the murder of Thomas, Dahmer did not kill anyone for almost five months. Talk about a dry spell. Number 10 was in February of 91. Dahmer observed a 17-year-old boy, Curtis Slaughter, standing at a bus stop. According to Dahmer, he lured Slaughter into his apartment with a old chestnut of an offer of money for posing for nude photos. With the added incentive of sexual intercourse, Dahmer drugged Slaughter, cuffed his hands behind his back, strangled him to death with a leather strap, then dismembered the body, retaining the youth's skull and genitals, and photographing each stage of the dismantlement process. Sometimes it's just hard to let go of the ones we love. Number 11 was a 19-year-old named Errol Lindsay. Lindsay was heterosexual. Dahmer lured Lindsay to his apartment where he drugged him, 
drilled a hole in his skull, and poured hydrochloric acid into it. According to Dahmer, Lindsay awoke after the experiment, which Dahmer had conceived in the hope of inducing a permanent, unresistant, submissive state, saying, quote, I have a headache. What time is it? Unquote. In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay, then strangled him. He decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. By 91, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa Princewell, of the foul smells emanating from apartment 213, in addition to the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. I mean, come on, really? Princewell contacted Dahmer, who in response to these complaints on several occasions, although he initially excused the odors emanating from his apartment being caused by his freezer breaking, causing his contents to become spoiled. On later occasions, he informed Princewell that the reason the resurgence of the odor was that the tropical fish had recently died and he would take care of the matter. Number 12. On March 24, 1991, Dahmer encountered 31-year-old aspiring model Tony Hughes at a, nightclub. at a nightclub. He was lured into Dahmer's apartment with an offer of money to pose for photographs. Hughes was also drugged into subconscious state before Dahmer injected hydrochloric acid into his skull in an effort to disable his will and render him submissive, although on this occasion, the drilling and injection proved fatal. Number 14. On the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Dahmer encountered a 14-year-old Laub on Wisconsin Avenue, unknown to Dahmer. The child was his younger brother of the boy he had molested in 1988. He approached the teenager with the offer of money to accompany him to his apartment and pose for many Polaroid pictures. According to Dahmer, the child was initially reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind and accompanying him to his apartment, where he posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into unconsciousness before performing oral sex on him. Before the, the child fell unconscious, Dahmer led the boy into his bedroom where the boy more than likely saw the body of Tony Hughes, whom Dahmer had killed three days earlier and lay naked on the floor. According to Dahmer, he believed that the child saw this body, but yet didn't react to seeing the bloated corpse because of the effects of the sleeping pills he had just ingested. Number 15. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago, where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was not reported missing until five days later. On July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weingartner from Chicago, a Chicago bar, to his apartment on the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Weinberger, injected boiling water into his skull, sending him into a coma in which he died from two days later. Number 16. On July 15th, Dahmer encountered a 24-year-old Oliver Lacey at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing for nude photographs and accompanied him to his apartment where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Lacey. On this occasion, however, Dahmer intended to prolong the time he spent with Lacey while alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted, although the next day he was suspended. On July 19th, Dahmer received word that he was fired. Upon this news, Dahmer lured 25-year-old Joseph Braithoff to his apartment. Braithoff was strangled and left lying in Dahmer's bed, covered with a sheet for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer removed the 
face sheets to find the head covered with maggots. He decapitated the body, cleaned the head, and placed it in the refrigerator. He later acidified Breithoff's torso, along with those of the other two victims killed within the previous month. So how did Dahmer finally get caught? On July 22, 1991, Dahmer approached three men with the offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to pose for nude photographs drink some beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him to his apartment. Upon entering Dahmer's apartment, Edwards noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed to use for cleaning bricks. After some minor conversation, Edwards responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer responded to his request turned his head, unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrists together, then told Edwards to accompany him to a bedroom and pose for nude photographs. While inside the bedroom, Edwards noted nude male posters on the wall and a videotape of the exorcist was playing. He also noted a blue 57-gallon drum in the corner from which a strong odor was emanating. Dahmer then brandished a knife, please be quiet, and informed Edwards that he had intended to take nude photos of him. In an attempt to appease Dahmer, Edwards unbuttoned his shirt, saying he would allow him to do so if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away. In response to his promise, Dahmer simply turned his attention back towards the TV. Edwards observed Dahmer rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him. He placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife pressed against his victim's skin, informed Edwards he intended to eat his heart. In continuous attempts to prevent Dahmer, from attacking him, Edwards repeated that he was Dahmer's friend and he was not going to run away. Edwards had decided he was going to either jump from the window or run through the unlocked front door the next available opportunity. When Edwards next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if he could sit with a beer in the living room where there was air conditioning and Dahmer consented and the pair walked into the living room. When Edwards exited the bathroom inside the living room, Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer had moments lapsed of concentration before requesting to reuse the bathroom again. When Edwards rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer was not holding the handcuffs, whereupon Edwards punched Dahmer in the face, knocking Dahmer off balance, and ran out the front door. At 11.30 p.m. on July 22nd, Edwards flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Ralph and Ralph Mueller, on the corner of North 25th Street. The officers noted that Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist, whereupon he explained to the officers that a, quote, freak had placed him in handcuffs handcuffs and asked the police if they could remove them. When officers' handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of handcuffs, Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where Edwards stated he spent the previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Edwards arrived at apartment 213, Dahmer invited the trio inside, acknowledged that he had placed the handcuff upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. At this point, Edwards divulged to the officers that Dahmer had also brandished a large knife upon him and that this had happened to be in the bedroom. Dahmer made no comment of this revelation, indicating to one of the officers, Mueller, that the key to the handcuff was in the bedside dresser. As Mueller entered the bedroom, Dahmer attempted to pass Mueller to retrieve the key himself, whereupon the second officer present, Ralph, informed him, quote, back off. In the bedroom, Mueller noted there was a large knife beyond the bed. He saw the drawer open 
Upon closer inspection, it contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were human bodies in various shapes of dismemberment. Mueller noted that the decor indicated they had been taken in the same apartment in which they were standing. Mueller walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, These are for real. When Dahmer saw the Mueller was holding several of his Polaroids, he fought the officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called a second squad for backup. At this point, Mueller opened the refrigerator door to reveal several heads of black men as Dahmer lay penned on the floor beneath Ralph. He turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, For what I did, I should be dead. A more detailed search of the apartment conducted by Milwaukee's Police Department Criminal Investigation Bureau revealed that a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen, a total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet. Investigators discovered collected blood droppings upon a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator, plus two human hearts and a portion of an arm muscle wrapped inside a plastic bag upon the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of organs and a flesh stuck to an ice cube at the bottom. Elsewhere, in apartment 2013, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, mummified scalp, and a 57-gallon drum, three and further dismembered torsos dissolving in the acid solution, a total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of the body parts, the artifacts at 924 North 25th Street, the chief medical examiner later stated, quote, it was more like the dismantling of someone's museum than an actual crime scene. Confession. Beginning in the early hours of July 23, 1991, Dahmer was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to the murders he had committed and the evidence found at his apartment. Over the following two weeks, Kennedy and later Detective Dennis Murphy conducted numerous interviews with Dahmer, which combined a total over 60 hours. Dahmer waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout his interrogations, adding he wished to confess as he had created all this horror, and it only makes sense I do everything to put it to an end. He readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987, with one further victim, Stephen Hicks, killed in Ohio back in 1978. Most of Dahmer's victims had been rendered unconscious prior to their murder, although some had died as a result of having acid or boiling water injected into their brain. As he had no memory of the murder of his second victim, Stephen Toomey, he was unsure whether he was unconscious when beaten to death, although he did concede it was possible that his viewing exposed the chest of Toomey while in the drunken stupor may have led him to unsuccessfully attempt to tear Toomey's heart out of his chest. Almost all murders Dahmer committed after moving to the Oxford Apartments had involved a ritual posing of victims' bodies in suggestive photos, typically with the chest thrust outwards prior to dismemberment. Dahmer readily admitted to engaging in necrophilia with several of his victims' bodies, including performing sexual acts with their viscera as he dismembered their bodies in his bathtub, having noted that much of the blood pulled inside his victim's chest after death. 
Dahmer removed their organs and did not wish to retain them and pairing the flesh from the body. The bones he wished to preserve of the skeletons and skulls he wished to keep. Dahmer confessed to having consumed the hearts, biceps, portions of thighs of three victims he had killed in the Oxford apartments, Raymond Smith, Ernest Miller, and Oliver Lacey, and to have retained flesh and organs of other victims intended for consumption. Typically, Dahmer would tenderize the body parts he intended to consume prior to prepping meals flavored with various condiments. His conviction. On February 15th, the court reconvened to hear his verdict. Dahmer was ruled to be sane, not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried, although in each count, two of the 12 jurors signed their dissent. Formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th. On this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client wished to address the court. Dahmer then approached the lectern and read a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. In this statement, Dahmer emphasized that he had never desired freedom following his arrest and that he, quote, frankly wished for his own death. He further stressed that none of his murders had been motivated by hatred, that he understood that nothing he said or did could undo the terrible harm he had caused the families of the victims in the city of Milwaukee, and that he and his doctors believed his criminal behavior had been motivated by mental disorders. Dahmer added this medical knowledge had given him some peace and that although he understood that society would never forgive him, he certainly hoped God would. Dahmer closed his statement with, quote, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. He then returned to his seat to await formal sentencing. Dahmer was then sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts. The remaining 13 counts carried out a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 27 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Upon hearing of Dahmer's sentencing, his father Lionel and stepmother Sherry requested to be allowed a 10-minute private meeting with their son before he was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institute in Portage to begin his sentence. His request was granted, and the trio exchanged hugs and well wishes before Dahmer was escorted away. Three months after his conviction in Milwaukee, Dahmer was extradited to Ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim, Stephen Hicks. In a court hearing lasting just 45 minutes, Dahmer again pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on May 1, 1992. Upon his sentencing, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution. For the first year of his incarceration, Dahmer was placed in in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come into contact with fellow inmates. With Dahmer's consent, after one year of solitary confinement, he was transferred to a less secure unit where he was assigned a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. Shortly after completing his lengthy confessions in 1991, Dahmer had requested Detective Murphy that he be given a copy of the Bible. This request was granted and Dahmer gradually devoted himself to Christianity and became a born-again Christian. On his father's urging, he read the creation creationist books from the Institute of Creation Research. In May 1994, Dahmer was baptized by Roy Ratcliffe, a minister of the Church of Christ and graduate 
of the Oklahoma Christian University in the prison whirlpool. Following his baptism, Ratcliffe visited Dahmer on a weekly basis up until 1994. Dahmer and Ratcliffe regularly discussed the prospect of death, and Dahmer questioned whether he was sinning against God by continuing to live, referring to his crimes in a 1994 interview with Stone Phillips on Dateline NBC. Dahmer had stated, quote, if a person doesn't think that there is God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. On July 3, 1994, a fellow inmate, Osvaldo Dorothy, attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush. As Dahmer sat in the prison chapel after a weekly church service, was concluded. Dahmer received superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt in the incident. According to Dahmer's family, he had long been ready to die and accepted the punishment he might endure in prison. In addition to his father and stepmother maintaining regular contact, Dahmer's mother, Joyce, also maintained regular contact with her son. Prior to his arrest, the two had not seen each other since the Christmas of 83. Joyce related weekly phone calls whenever she expressed concerns for her son's physical well-being. Dahmer responded with comments to the effect of, quote, it doesn't matter, Mom. I don't care if something happens to me. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes. At approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym, suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about the head, the face with a 20-inch, 51-centimeter metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck again against the wall during the assault. Although Dahmer was still alive, he was rushed to a nearby hospital. He was pronounced dead one hour later. Anderson had been beaten with the same instrument and died two days later from his wounds. For the Aftermath, I'm your host, Daniel Hudson. Catch you next time. <laughs>